This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that launched a business in five weeks and documented the entire journey. In this episode, you'll learn how to use your competitors' product reviews to improve your copywriting, how to reverse engineer the viability of a business idea, and how to find and work with influencers and only pay them when they sell your product. Today, I'm joined by Corey Ferreira from SightGlasses.com. That's S-Y-G-H-T-G-L-A-S-S-E-S.com. SightGlasses sells affordable gaming glasses to combat eye fatigue. We're starting in 2015 and based out of Toronto. So this is not your typical Shopify Masters podcast episode. Corey's from the Shopify content team. He built a revenue-generating store in five weeks, and he's here to tell us all about it. And if you stick around to the very end, we'll also tell you how you can win this very store that we're about to talk about. So welcome aboard, Corey. Thanks so much for having me, Felix. This is actually really exciting. I'm uh, a fan of the podcast, so this is really cool, actually. <laughs> awesome. And uh, just just let the audience know, too, there's going to be a very detailed case study of this written up, and uh, we'll try to make sure we, we um, have links to that. And uh, you guys will, if, you, if you're hearing what you hear now, you want more details and exactly how you did it, all mapped out, make sure to check out the case study. Um, so again, you know this unique unique episode because you uh, create a store in order to do to do this in depth case study, starting a business from scratch. And uh, before we jump into sight glasses, you guys have done this before. You know, the Shopify team has done this before. They have started stores from scratch and built a case study all around it. Can you just give a quick overview of the other stores in the past that you've done or that you guys have done as a team? Yeah, sure. So in the past, we've done Hello Matcha, which was a tea drop shipping business. And uh, the, the content team put, built that up from scratch and it wound up generating around, I think, $922 and we gave that business away. And the one that was recent, I believe it was back in September, um, was ThinkPub. So that was another one from the content team, uh, Tucker Schreiber. He built that up from scratch. It's a t-shirt company. It's a, it sells dog t-shirts. And it made, I think, over 1200 bucks in only a few weeks. And they, well, we gave that business away as well. So this is the third, I guess, case study in, in this installment we were, we're, going, we're doing, I guess. And it was my turn to build up the store, and here we are. That's awesome. Did you feel under the gun or any pressure to outperform <laughs> your, your coworkers? Yes, yes. And not even that. It was, it was like an ego thing too, right? Because if, if I failed, like my coworkers would be like, why the heck did they hire this guy, right? <laughs> so I had to ensure... You know that I, I I could start a business that was profitable and and I could do it in a short amount of time, right? So it was a lot of pressure actually to start this business and find something that I could actually sell myself. Writing it was easy, selling it and starting this business was actually really hard, and it was a great learning experience for me. That's awesome. So maybe from the start, let's talk about the results. So at the end of this particular case study, what were the results, and how long did did you actually run this 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 store and before you you um I guess wrote the case study? Yeah, sure. So. The case, or rather, the the store ran for five weeks, and within those five weeks, it made over twenty four hundred bucks in revenue, so exactly two thousand four hundred sixteen dollars and fifty one cents. And I think I had sixty one sales total, so um, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, considering uh, there were some short bursts of sales that happened, we can I guess we can talk a little, little bit more about that later in terms of the channels and where a lot of the sales came from. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 really surprised and happy because I again when I started it I was kind of confident but I was a little worried I'm like you know, like you know can I do this kind of because I don't really have that much experience mm-hmm. with physical products you know I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur but uh, uh, I'm still very much a student when it comes to e-commerce I'm still reading and 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 doing and listening to podcasts like this every day to to learn and get better at it so um, I guess it's nice to see the fruits of my labor and all these <laughs> months and years of of learning and, and studying. I've come uh, to fruition, I guess. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really happy with it. Cool. So the five weeks was when the store was live. How much uh, prep prep work? I guess how much time before that were you actually building and getting things set up? Was that including the five weeks or or um, longer than that? 
Yeah, so it's a little bit longer than that because so for about a few weeks, I was coming up with a product idea, which was actually much more difficult than I thought it'd be. Um, and then after that, it was, a, it was a, um, a point where I had to find a product on Alibaba or find a supplier rather to, to manufacture. And then at that point when I ordered, I finally found a manufacturer, it took about a month for the products to be manufactured and to be shipped to me. So there was a roughly a month and a half period before this when I started actually working on it. And then while I was waiting for this product to ship, I was working on the website um, and started doing some things like a break-even analysis and kind of brainstorming where I would try and promote these glasses. So I would say about a, a, about a month and a half I was working on the business before I officially opened the doors and sold for those five short weeks. Okay, and this is um, a little bit different than the previous case studies, right? Because you're building, you're basically getting it manufactured or at least uh, getting it from overseas while the other case studies are more drop shipping or, or it was a t-shirt line. How did that, how was that uh, business model? Yeah, that was, that was drop shipping too. That was uh, using Printful, I believe. So that was drop shipping as well. So yeah, the, totally. I wanted to do something a little bit different with this case study. We haven't really uh, talked a lot about you know finding a manufacturer overseas and what that process looks like. So I, I kind of wanted to show uh, with complete transparency what that process looked like. So that's what I, that was kind of the main angle I want to take with this case study. So the, when I was starting on a product, I wanted to ensure that it was something I could you know find a manufacturer for on on Alibaba because Alibaba is a big name and a lot of people always ask about that. And uh, I had a little bit. Of, I had some criteria as well. I don't know if you want to dive into that as well. Like the criteria I created for myself to make this as easy as possible in terms of finding the perfect product to uh, purchase and sell from Alibaba. Yeah, let's start there. So the you know you were tasked or you decided to start working on this store. First day you walk into the office or first day you started working on this. What was like the first thing you decided to do? Since I already knew for sure I wanted to source a product from China because I wanted that to be the angle for a case study. I started to think about like different products I can I can purchase, but I wanted to make it really simple, you know. So I for the, for the first thing is I wanted to make the product light, or I wanted the product to be light and small enough to fit into a shoebox because I didn't want to deal with shipping uh, heavy and large products from you know China all the way to Canada and having to house this inventory and then actually have to ship those big large products to uh, customers. So that was my first thing. The second thing is I wanted the product to be relatively cheap as well. So I wanted the product to be at least a dollar to ten dollars per unit from China. Uh, that that way it would keep the costs kind of down, make it a little bit more reasonable. Because while I did have a kind of like an unlimited budget, because you know um, this is a, a case study under Shopify, and, and they were gonna obviously pay for anything I needed to run this store. Uh, I wanted to make it as realistic as possible. So uh, that was the second thing. The third thing was I wanted the price. Uh, to be low enough to leave me with enough wiggle wiggle room for a nice margin. So if I can find a product that I could buy for, let's say, three bucks a unit and then sell for thirty bucks a unit, that'd be great. Uh, and the fourth thing was I didn't want the product to be electronic or food based because I didn't want to deal with electronics breaking or warranties or food expiring. And the last thing is I wanted the product to be very niche, so to kind of serve a, a market of passionate people. So in this case, it was it was gamers or people who are in front of their computers or, or television screens very, very frequently. Mm. Yeah, so when you, at the end of this entire um, experiment or case study that you did, based on those criteria, did you feel like you'd need to add more things if you were to do this again? Or did you feel like certain things were maybe uh, maybe too restrictive at, in terms of your criteria? Or did you find it was like perfect spot? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't, I, you know, I, I, right now I, I can't think of anything that would change regarding that criteria. I think actually kind of helped me because it put me in a little bit of a box. I think if I didn't have this this criteria which I invented, it would it would make it a lot harder for me to find a product. So by having these kinds of rules in place, I, I kind of got to narrow it down when, when it came to coming up with a product I wanted to sell. I'm not sure what I would change. I think this is actually a, a decent way to find something that's relatively easy to sell in terms of having to ship it, having to pay for it, because it can get expensive if you're trying to buy you know, thousands of units of a large product that costs thousands of dollars per unit, right? So most people don't have that kind of money unless they take out a credit line or, or a loan or something like that. So 
if I were to start again, you know, I think I think I would probably keep it roughly the same. I might I might want to try a food product in the future. I think that would be kind of interesting, but I would try and keep it the same criteria. I think it, it actually served me really well in this situation. Yeah, the one thing that stood out to me though was that when you were talking about how you didn't want it to be anything larger than like that would fit into a shoebox, because that's like a really important point that not a lot of people talk about is all the smaller, not necessarily smaller, but a lot of the not spoken about, not talked about, hidden costs of starting a business. Like shipping, yeah. obviously, is a big one. And yep. having something too large is really going to cut into your margin. So I think uh, it was really a great idea for you to to break it down into this criteria and work off of that rather than the approach that I think a lot of maybe first-time entrepreneurs take was just to look for a product and not look at all of these other costs that are associated with it. Um, so were there other runner-ups with, uh, with the products that you found? Were there any other ones that, that matched the criteria but you decide not to go with them. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I mean, uh, when I was coming up with the product idea, I did ultimately want to ensure too that it was something I would use or that I can confidently sell or had a lot of knowledge in. So when I was coming up with ideas, I did brainstorm a little bit, and I it was it was snowing outside or it was winter. So I thought, you know, well, it still is winter, but I it's I was thinking maybe winter products, maybe snowboarding products, maybe hats or toques or something like that, you know. But ultimately, I'm like, let me find something where there's a group of passionate people because like. Who would I sell toques to, right? There's no really small niche I could do it unless I, I position the product a certain way. So for me, uh, the way I actually came up with the product is funny enough, like it's kind of weird, but I actually wear sunglasses indoors sometimes. And I kind of made, I made fun of that, I made fun about that at the office because I wear my sunglasses indoors. And the reason I do this is because I have uh, eye strain problems. So if I'm sitting in front of a computer too long, my eyes start to hurt. So I, I have a pair of computer glasses at home. And I figured, you know, that there's, there's something to this. If I can position it to gamers, then something I, maybe maybe I can sell them because I'm a, I'm a gamer myself. I have eye strain problems, and I'm pretty sure other people do. So I started exploring it, and I guess that's how I kind of eventually landed upon that because I knew that was niche enough. Again, like something like toques or maybe even snowboards or, or snowboard goggles or whatever, just weren't something I could confidently sell. Mm-hmm. And this is like a product that I've actually never heard of before, like the gaming glasses or gaming glasses a niche. Were, were there other competitors in the space or a lot of competitors in the space before when you were doing this research? Yeah, so there, there definitely was. Um, I mean, the technology is basically something you might find in snowboard goggles or shooting uh, glasses or nighttime driving glasses or any of those like traditional blue blocker glasses you might see. So there's a lot of variety in different niches these glasses kind of try and serve, um, and, and including the gaming space as well and, and the computer space. So there were uh, quite a few competitors, and I actually took that as a factor as well. I looked at you know the, what prices they were selling them at, uh, what styles seem to be popular on websites like, let's say, Amazon or eBay? Um, what were some of the, the criticisms people had about some of these products? So I looked at the reviews, I read them, just to kind of get an idea of what people wanted. And ultimately, I, I wound up choosing uh, a kind of like a, a, a Wayfair, Wayfarer, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, style of, of frame. And uh, that's, I guess that's what I went with. I mean, there's a ton. If you look up like gaming classes, you'll see a ton of different variety and styles. I tried to keep it really simple and maybe kind of professional looking, something you can wear in the office. And I'm glad I did because it, it did really well. I think people actually really responded well to it, um, considering I wasn't exactly sure. I basically had to kind of guess from there. Yeah, there's a couple of things in, in what you just said that I want to talk about. The first one was about how you looked at the styles that were already popular. And I think, um, you know, as entrepreneurs, we like to think of, we're like thinking of ourselves as creators. Or we want to create things. We want to create things that are new. But you went with just finding out what was already popular. Where Did you ever have any concerns about, am I going, to, wondering if you were going to just kind of fade into the, the crowd? Or did you have a good idea of how you could stand out from the crowd if you were just making the same things that everyone else was? Yeah, so I think what even though the maybe I was looking at something that was really popular and probably competitive, I think competition is a good thing. It means if there's a lot of competition, it usually means people are making a lot of money in that niche or space. So I thought I found a, a pretty unique way to position it, to position it to gamers. Plus, I had a really good idea of how I, pr- how I promote it. I thought maybe I could go through people who create you know, gaming content or something like YouTube and Twitch and get them to help promote my glasses. So... That made me confident enough, even despite how competitive it was, to kind of go into this space. In general, I, I actually don't, I don't, when it comes to anything I do in terms of starting a business or, or selling something online, I, I use competition as a, a, a barometer, I guess, to tell me that I should do something, not that I shouldn't. I, I'm, and I know this is a kind of like, um, 
different arguments about that, but I find competition to be a good thing. If there's a lot of people in a space, it must mean that it's selling. Um, I don't try and find spaces that are untapped because that usually doesn't exist. So that's kind of actually what pushed me into this is that I saw how many people were actually selling already in this space. That's awesome. And I think um, this raised another really important point or important uh, lesson is that the product itself doesn't have to be the unique thing that you're focusing on. For you, the positioning and the, the way you promoted it was what you, you really focused on to make it a unique experience for, for the end customer. So I really exactly. um, like that because a lot of times we think about how can we create a product that's differentiated, but we don't think about all the other things that come along with it and in your case positioning and promotion were were the two th- two big things and um so the other point that you you brought up that i want to talk about it was that you looked at the criticisms you looked at the reviews of your you know quote-unquote competitors and how did you use the information that you gathered from from there yeah so i looked at what people were saying about you know uh in terms of design and, st- and size of the glass so some people said you know these were too small or uh, they wrapped around my head, but you know maybe my headphones didn't fit, stuff like that. So I, I tried to just kind of find where people didn't like a certain product. And if I saw enough of something like, oh, this is too bulky or it's too small for my head, then I knew that size was probably not something that would fit You know, maybe the, the kind of audience I was going after. So I, 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 it, I didn't really actually gather much from it. I think in the future, if I was looking, selling, maybe selling something else, it would be more helpful. I think in this case, though, there wasn't a lot of intelligence I, I gathered from it. Just generally that I, I saw people were uh, interested in a certain kind of size for the glasses. So when I was searching on Alibaba, I was searching for a certain uh, width for the glasses, um, just so it would fit, I guess, more head shapes. And I, I'm, I think that's helped. I mean, based on the feedback I get, it seemed like everyone liked the glasses that I sold that I sold to. The only criticism I had was the packaging, which is like something I can talk about later as well. Um, but yeah, the the, the the, the reviews didn't help as much as I, I, I thought it, they would in this situation, but I would, it was still something I would, I would recommend to anyone to do, to look at the reviews of your competition and see what you can improve. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Even though it didn't necessarily work out for you, the reviews can really help you figure out what gaps in the marketplace you can fill with your product. Right. Uh, and so one thing I wanted to take a step back real quick to the the point about how you are, you looked at the the landscape to see what was already selling. Were you able to, I guess, how were you able to determine if, if a particular product, particular style, or even if the particular niche was um, selling a lot or not? Were there numbers that you were able to look at or what were you looking at specifically? Yeah, sure. So one of the first things I did was I went on Google Trends and I looked at stuff like, you know, blue light blocking and gaming glasses and computer glasses to see um, if, it's, if it's trending, if it's on the rise, and they were. And then the next thing I would look at is I'd go on Amazon and eBay and kind of sort by or look at number of reviews, and I would use it to kind of guess how many sales these merchants had. Mm-hmm. And what I would also do is I'd go on a lot of these um, competitor websites, and what you can do is actually sort by bestsellers. So that gave me an idea of what styles were selling the best. So when I saw frames that were very similar to mine selling, all well, these these black kind of square style frames are selling well, it kind of gave me uh, a little bit of validation that this is the style to, to, tr- to try and sell um, because I, I saw this uh, very common trend. There's a wide or wild variety of different kinds of frame styles for these kinds of glasses, but it seemed like the very classic neutral black uh, square frames were what people really wanted. So that's that's what ultimately led me to that style and that design for these glasses. Yeah, and just for the the audience, is there a? I mean, I'm sure there's not like an exact uh, science to it, but what kind of thresholds are you looking at in terms of reviews? Like, how were? Is there like a? I guess back of the back of the envelope formula that you could use uh, that the audience members could use if they wanted to look at reviews to determine uh, popularity. Not necessarily. I mean, when I was comparing products, I put, might potentially sell. I might type in like snowboarding goggles and see how many number of views that was getting compared to let's say gaming glasses, and I I just kept seeing you know numbers like three hundred reviews, five hundred reviews on a lot of different listings for glasses, and it kind of told me okay there's something here that people are, are buying these things. Yeah. Um. There isn't really a number I looked at. I just in general if I saw you know an overwhelming amount of of num- like number of reviews. That I knew there was probably something there. I mean, I don't think that would work for most products because I think generally you'll see high number of reviews for most products, especially the very competitive ones and popular ones. But I think something something as niche as this, it kind of gave me that that confidence as well. Like, okay, people are actually buying this thing. 
Yeah, I mean, 300 reviews is definitely a lot because it's such a small percentage of customers that actually end up writing a review that you can, you know, kind of guess if it's going to be popular or not. Cool. So we spent a lot of time talking about finding the product itself, and let's move on to the kind of next stage in your in your um, your journey. Really, is uh, uh, branding. So how did you figure out you found the product? How did you uh, decide on the branding? So how did you find the name, the look, and feel the website and everything? Like, what kind of exercise did you go through to to kind of lay all that out? Yeah. So I tried not to let influence or competitors influence me. So I basically just started brainstorming. I had a paper and pad. And just started brainstorming names. That's the first thing I did before anything else. I started brainstorming names. And there were some names. So I was trying to kind of um, bring up like precision or fidelity, something that would show them, you know, these glasses are going to make you see better, you know, in these games, or they're going to make you uh, see for much longer periods of time. So then I, I came across, you know, maybe eagle eye or sharp or like gun sights because a lot of, you know, gamers play these like, like first person shooter games. So then ultimately, I'm like, okay, something like gun sight, sight, you know. But I didn't want to use sight, the word sight, because like as a, as a visual sight, because, uh, you know, it's, it's very common. I probably want to get the domain for that. So I put, you know, instead of an I in the site, I put a Y. So I put S-Y-G-H-T, kind of make it a little bit edgier, I guess. I don't know. And I just, I chose sight glasses. I don't know. It's just a name, I guess, that resonated. Ultimately, though, like for me, um, names and logos are not something I would prioritize. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only actually had to do it early in the stage of creating the, the business because I had to create a logo to provide my manufacturer so they can uh, print it onto the product. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would probably do it like the last thing was probably create the logo. It's probably something I think I would do. Once I validated the business, then I would worry about branding. Only because I think people too spend too much time coming up with a logo and branding because it's, it's a fun thing to do, right? Right. Um, but ultimately, it can be something that's Cause you to procrastinate, or you spend a little bit too much time on it, because it's 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 something that will probably change with time too. Um, so yeah, and then eventually after that, I just went on, you know, I found a, a font that I like, the free font that I can I have commercial license to use. Uh, I tried going with a futuristic look, and with the logo, I just went to Creative Market, you know, browse through their their logos. I purchased the extended license for uh, a logo that I liked. It was a little like eagle eye, you know, I searched eagle eye something, so you know, kind of show like an eye or something. Um, and for the colors, I just showed the, the colors of the glasses. The, the the lenses are an amber, copper color, and and they're, the frames are black. So I went with a black and yellow for the website just to kind of keep consistent with the uh, the glasses. Yeah, I agree about your point. About well, I understand why you spent time on this, but I also agree that you shouldn't devote too much time to just because it's one of those dangerous tasks. You know, figure out your branding, figure out your name, and all that. It's a dangerous task because it's one of those tasks that feels like progress, but it's really yeah. just more like procrastination at the end of the day. For sure. And uh, so I'm looking at your site now, and I'm reading this headline you have, which says "Combat Eye Fatigue, Stop Eye Strain, Protect Your Eyeballs," which is a very benefit-driven headline. I really like it a lot, even though I'm not in partic- exactly in this market. So, how did you mm-hmm. know to come up with? How did you know to use those particular words or speak about those particular benefits? So that actually came from the reviews. So that now I'm bringing back. I tried looking at the language people use to describe the pain and how this product was solving it. I'm not a copywriter. I'm actually, I think it's one of my weaknesses, to be honest. I, I struggle with writing good sales copy. It's something I'm still trying to learn. And so I know basic copywriting. So you have to, you're, 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 you know, your, your headline for your sales page, ideally, should be your unique value proposition. So what's, what's the pain you're solving? So I want you to know in the first second exactly what you're, you're doing for them, what you're providing or offering. So I looked at the, at the, at the reviews on Amazon and eBay and such, stuff like that. And people still kept saying, oh, you know, my eye fatigue went away. Or it really stopped my eye strain you know, protected my eyes, you know, and then I'm like, okay, there's something, I'm going to use that language because that's the way they describe their, their pain. So I included a lot of that language on my sales page because that's the way people describe their pain. So uh, in general, you want to be as specific as possible with your unique value proposition. So you want to provide the benefit immediately. And then it, it works best, in my opinion, to use the language that your customers use to describe the way your product solves their, their problem or pain point. So that's the that's the kind of the, the theory I went with, and I, to be honest, this changed quite a bit. The the little headline here you see on on the, on the sales page of the website, I did run through some iterations after I ran some Facebook ads and, and Google ads to it, just to kind of test what was working, and that's roughly what I had the whole time anyway. I mean, they didn't really change that much, um, and I think that really helped. I think it really helped sell the product when people got to the website. 
Gotcha. Cool. So you uh, now have found a product, you figure out the branding for it, you got you have the kind of uh, logo and everything ready for the supplier. So now how did you find the the supplier for this? I had some previous experience with Alibaba, but not a lot. So I essentially went on Alibaba and I simply typed in blue light glasses or blue blocking glasses just to kind of see what came up with. And as I looked at more and more lists, I got to see the way the suppliers describe this product. So I was able to do more, I guess, better searches to find better suppliers. And what I eventually did is I created a short list of the suppliers that I wanted to uh, contact. And, you know, Alibaba kind of has this reputation where if you're not careful uh, or if you don't do your due, due diligence, uh, things can go wrong. So I, I ensured that, you know, uh, the sellers or the suppliers rather, uh, were on Alibaba for quite a while. So they had at least five years was kind of the criteria I invented. Like it's, I don't, there's no science to it, but it's what I just kind of created just to make it easier for me. Uh, that they offer trade assurance. So this ensures that, you know, uh, after I pay, uh, the product I get is the product I wanted. And if not, Alibaba will hopefully uh, protect my purchase and give me a, a refund. And then the next thing I wanted to do was ensure that they were a, a manufacturer and not a trader. So I believe it's trader. I'm not sure the exact, or there's another, there's another word for it. But if, I, I want basically I want to ensure that we're not a middleman, so mm. that they were actually who I was talking to was actually the manufacturer, not someone who would go out and find me a manufacturer because I didn't want to pay a premium for that. And then when I ultimately landed on a few uh, sub- suppliers, potential suppliers, I made sure that they had the word optics or eyewear or something like that in their business name. The reason for this is what I found is there are some manufacturers who just create everything. So their name might be, you know, the name of the, the city in China, uh, manufacturers and like that. So I wanted to ensure that they specialized. I didn't want to hire someone to make my glasses who also made, you know, supplements and speakers and lava lamps. Like I didn't want someone to make everything under the sun. So I wanted to ensure that they specialized so that that would hopefully uh, increase the chances that I found someone who was really good at creating these glasses, who uh, created something that they, they promised and everything like that. So that was kind of like how, how I, I found a supplier. And I basically messaged a bunch of people, went back and forth. And of course, English is not their first language there. So there was a little bit of a communication issue. Um, but if you're patient enough and you, you, you try and be as visual as possible, so I would, I would actually send them mock-ups of exactly what I wanted, the glasses I wanted, with how I wanted the branding on the glasses, they were able to you know, understand pretty pretty well. So I eventually did my due diligence. So I would Google some of these suppliers' names and the, the manufacturer names just to ensure there weren't any negative reviews or anything out there. And I just asked them for quotes, the ex- exact amount it would cost me to for, let's say, 100 glasses. And uh, they, I got a quote back, including shipping. And I chose um, one supplier based on how good the price was, and they wanted they were going to provide exactly what I wanted, and I, I eventually chose them. Now, I just, I just want to kind of give a disclaimer, and because of the nature of this this I guess business, like I was creating this business for Shopify as a case study. So, if I was creating this business myself from for, for for me, and I was working at Shopify, I would order a sample first. That was the one thing I did not do, but I do talk about it that why it's important. So, for anyone else who's considering doing this. Ensure you ask for a sample first from a few suppliers. That way you, you can check the quality, you can compare the quality, you can ensure there's anything, uh, any modification you might need to do, you can get back to them before you order a large quantity because it was risky for me to order this, a large quantity of glasses without actually seeing them or holding them in my hand. So as a disclaimer, I didn't do that because I was under a time constraint with this case study. It would have added another month to the case study, so I didn't do it. But in for everyone, anyone else who wants to try and order a product from Alibaba, I would recommend always asking for a sample. It might cost you a little bit of money, maybe 100 bucks. It might be free, or maybe they'll refund you the, the money after you place a larger order. But I would recommend getting a sample before placing a large order, unlike what I did. So for once you found the uh, the supplier, did you have to, was there a lot of back and forth involved, or what was like the timeline between once you decided to go with one and when you first got that you know 100 uh, product order? Yeah, so there was a bit of back and forth, actually. It actually went for quite a while. It went for about almost two weeks because I had to fight them for the 100 minimum uh, uh, order quantity mm-hmm. because most of them, well, all of them, they wanted me to order at least 1,000. And 
I wanted to keep it small. You know, I didn't want to have a thousand glasses sitting around. You know, I, I obviously I, I, it wouldn't be an issue for me to order because again, Shopify was going to be paying for it. You know, even if I had to pay for it out of pocket, it might have still been worth it if I can confidently sell it. But uh, because I didn't want to have a thousand glasses, and I wasn't sure if this was even going to work, I wanted to at least first test it. I, I tried to negotiate a smaller order quantity, and I managed to negotiate one manufacturer to a hundred, and that's ultimately why I, cho I chose them as well. So there was a little bit of back and forth. There was a little bit of me trying to clarify that they knew exactly what I wanted, the exact type of glasses, the exact type of lens, where I wanted the logo, how I wanted the logo to look. I had to ensure that, that um, they understood me completely because I didn't want them to make any mistakes since I wasn't going to be ordering any samples. Gotcha. So I want to talk a little about the the pricing and the margins and everything. It looks like the the glasses are um, thirty nine ninety nine on on the website. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm sure there's other discounts and everything that they could uh, might be able to find on the any any promotions you ran. But let's say forty bucks. Um, how much were how much did it come out to for those hundred orders per per product? So all in the the shipment from um, from China cost me three. I think I think three hundred seventy dollars. Plus, um, uh, sorry, excuse me, three hundred seventy dollars all in. I think that includes shipping, so that's roughly three dollars and seventy cents per per uh, per glasses uh, per pair. What I also did though was I had free shipping on every order, so that cut into the margin as well. So let's say it was ten bucks because it, it varied between um, each order, obviously. So we're looking at about thirteen bucks or so for the cost of the glasses. And you're right, I, I sold them for uh, $39.99. So that's a pretty decent margin. That's over 50%. So um, it was an excellent margin, which gave me a lot of wiggle room when it came to um, spending money. Because obviously with this case study, I wanted to at least break even, right? I didn't want to uh, publish a, a blog post where I lose money. So the, the, the margins actually kind of saved me because I, the expenses that came out to around 2000 bucks in the end as well. Um, so I'm glad I did that. And that's partially why I chose the product too, because I knew I could charge a lot for, ask a lot for it and get a nice margin. I also wanted at least 50% margins when I was starting on choosing a product. And that $2,000 expenses, was that a lot of just like startup uh, overhead or are those like a recurring, um, you know, costs, variable costs that go along with, you know, buying more inventory? Yeah. So quite a bit of it was startup costs, like you said. So, you know, buying a premium three theme on Shopify, paying for that extended license for that logo, which is pretty expensive. Um, buying um, the, like cases and stuff like that, and stickers and hangs, all the stuff I bought, uh, which I guess would be re recurring costs, I guess. But there were, some of the costs were experimentations too, like me trying to things on Facebook or, uh, on, or, on, or Google Ads and stuff like that. So, there were, you know, some expenses that just it just added up really quickly. Um, but I think as the business would keep running, uh, it was going to be just almost pure profit from there because it, it got to a point where uh, every order I received was was just increasing the the net income on on the on the glasses. So if I ordered a thousand, I probably would have made a, a little bit more money off of each pair because I probably would have got a better price in terms of the margin on, on per glasses. But I'm still pretty happy with the amount of uh, profit I made off off the business, considering how high the expenses were. Yeah, that's great. That is it ended up being you know profitable anyway. Uh, so um, I really like your your process entire thing because I'm a big like framework guy myself. I like just following, laying out a path, and then just kind of checking off the boxes. And you did that with the criteria you you had when you're picking the product, and you also and you you guys will see this in the the case study. You also put together like a quick little spreadsheet to determine if the business was going to be viable or not. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what did you include, and what were you looking at specifically? Yeah, so I actually had two spreadsheets uh, going. So I created one to ensure I could break even, and I want to ensure I could sell at least 50 of them. So for the first spreadsheet, I just basically guessed. There's no science to this. I didn't even ha I didn't even order the glasses yet. I guessed how much they would come. They would cost coming from China. So I, I think I guessed 700 bucks, and then I guessed what price I would set it at and how much I would have to sell to break even. And when I when I calculated, it, it was like something like 20 glasses or something like that. Obviously, that was completely wrong. It was probably something more like 40 glasses I have to sell to break even. But it's okay. You know, it just gave me a rough idea of how many glasses I would sell. Then next thing I did was, okay, so if I had to sell you know, 50 glasses, how would I do it? So I kind of reverse engineered it. So I thought of, of, of different channels I would sell the glasses in. And then I guessed how many I would sell in each, each channel. So for example, I said, you know, uh, Reddit, I'll sell five pairs there. 
uh, Facebook ads, I'll sell five pairs there. YouTube, I'll sell five pairs there. So if I created enough channels for myself and I, I start predicting where I would sell the glasses and, and how many until it added up to 50. Once I was able to confidently add up to 50, then it was time to move forward and order these glasses. If I couldn't add up to 50 and at least break even on these glasses, then I knew it wasn't worth doing. You know, If I couldn't brainstorm places to sell these glasses, how was I going to break even, right? So it was going to happen on its own. So I had to reverse engineer it and look at the different ways I was going to sell glasses and how many I thought I would uh, wind up selling. Now, obviously, both of these things I created were completely wrong. They were way off, you know, in terms of where I would sell these glasses and also how much profit I make on, and where I would have to break even. So again, there's no science to this, but it's all about putting things in perspective and kind of reverse engineering the, your business before you start it to kind of give you that confidence and to kind of lay out a little bit of, of a of a path and, 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 a, and a, a groundwork for you to start before you go. Because if I, if I didn't do this, I would have no idea where to start. I would probably just be throwing things on the wall and seeing what stuck. But in this way, I had uh, you know something laid out. Okay, I would start on Reddit. I would start on Product Hunt. And um, it worked out for me. Yeah, I think that's important that even though it, you can never pinpoint exactly how you're going to do it, it's not a science like you're saying. And even at the end, it wasn't accurate. It was just something you can, something tangible that you can look at and be and give you the confidence to move forward. You know, like you're saying, if the order, orders of magnitude were completely off and it was going to be in the negative or in a red, you're not, definitely not going to pursue it. But once you can see that it's possible to get to your end state or your end goal, and these were the steps you could take, at least gives you some direction, even if the numbers didn't exactly add up at the end of the day. Exactly. Cool. So, um, all right. So now you've determined that the product is is viable, and you place the first order. You they're you know on the way to you. Once you got them, what was the first thing you did? So, bef- right before I got them, I also wanted to make sure I beefed up the product. So I also went on AliExpress and I bought. Uh, cases for the glasses so I can package them in and throw them in for free. I also bought microfiber cloths that I can throw in for free. Um, I bought hang tags that I can attach to the glasses to make them look more professional. I got stickers that I can include for free. If you, if you, guys, if you guys want to know, well, you know this, this, where I got these those things, you can look at the, the case study on the blog. And then w- while I was waiting for the glasses and after I got them, the first thing I did was I, 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 I took product photos. That was definitely the first thing I had to do. So before I could even sell anything I wanted to, I had to take nice looking photos. And fortunately, we have a really nice setup uh, at the Toronto office for Shopify um, to take these kinds of photos. But really, I could have taken these myself with my my phone. Like I, we have blog posts on the blog that talk about how to take professional looking uh, product photos with just just with your your iPhone. So um, I use a white backdrop. You know, shooting glasses is actually very difficult because it reflects a lot of light. You know, there's light going through the lens, it creates a lot of shadows. So it's very challenging to actually shoot things like glasses and, and jewelry. So I did struggle to get some really nice crisp shots. I think they turned out pretty decently. Um, and once I did that, uh, once I got the, the product photos uh, up and I, I, I built the website, I had it ready to go. The first thing I did was I got feedback on the product and the website. So I went into our Slack channel, so um, you know, or, or Slack that we use to communicate at, at Shopify, and I asked some coworkers, you know, what do you think of this website? What do you think of this product? I wasn't expecting anyone to buy it, but I got my first sale from a, a coworker, uh, someone that actually works remotely in Finland, I believe. So pretty cool. Um, and and then at that point, I had to ship my first order. I don't know if you want to talk about that. I don't know where you want to go next, uh, Felix. But after I got my first order, I had to ship it. So that was my, my next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Well, before we get there, actually, you said that you wanted to beef up the beef up the product some more, and you got all these kind of additional things that. Um, you know, to 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 someone like me is looking at this, I wouldn't necessarily expect to receive all those extra things that you included. Did you like? What was the reason for you to that you that you um decided to add more to the to the product itself? Yeah, so I wanted to ensure I I increased the perceived value as much as possible, and I wanted to ensure people when people got the product. That there was some kind of nice unboxing experience, and they got a little bit more than they they paid for, because at the end of the day, they were you know four dollar glasses from China, right? So I had to present them in a way that increased their perceived value on the glasses. So I wanted to ensure I threw in you know some nice goodies, if you will, to kind of beef up the experience, beef up the, the perceived value of the product to make the product look more expensive than it actually was. So that's that was my kind of, I guess, logic or theory about, behind doing that. And I think it did really well. I mean, ultimately, the, the unbo- unboxing experience could have been a lot better now that I'm, I'm, I, I have time to reflect and based on what people have told me when they, when they got the product. 
but I still think it helped actually sell the product as well because they, they saw you know a free case and free microfiber cloth in, uh, included when you purchase the product. So that kind of maybe helped in conversions as well. Yeah, you, you wrote you write down here in the product description that it's a, a bonus, right? So it makes it uh, increases the the value of it. Not just getting the sunglasses, not sunglasses, not just getting the gaming glasses, but you also get all these uh, little goodies as well. Yeah. Uh, so you open the store, you got your first like friends and families and coworkers uh, buying it or taking a look at it. Yep. Um, how did you get your first you know strangers to to buy the product or even take a look at your site? So once I got you know the confidence to kind of sell these things, I went on to Reddit. So I went you know the good old Reddit, one of my favorite websites in the world. I wanted to shut up and take my money to subreddit uh, on Reddit. I submitted the product there, and I also submitted the product on Product Hunt in the gaming section. So they have a tech, they have a books, they have a gaming section. So I put it in there, and the Reddit post did really well, really really well. It, it stayed at the top of that subreddit for I think two days. And I can't pinpoint how many sales exactly came from Reddit because some of them are unknown, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I, I think maybe 12 to 16 sales came from Reddit um, based on you know uh, what I guess because I got a bunch of sales that day when I posted on Reddit and a, a bunch of them were unknown. Um, and the, the product hunt posted really well as, as well. It got six sales. So um, that was where I first... So I just, I just put it out there, you know. I put it on these these easy to access uh, channels that are free. You know, they don't cost anything. It just takes you submitting them. And I, I tried doing it in a really, you know, genuine, non spammy way. I basically went into the Reddit and said, "These are anti fatigue blue light blocking glasses." I described the product. That was the, the name of the the subreddit post. I didn't put you know sight glasses as a post because no one knows what the heck sight glasses is. So I tried to describe the product in the the, the headline of the, the the submission to to Reddit and to product on it. I really like that. Even though it's like a small thing where you didn't focus the post or the subject line of the post around your brand because it's not known yet. You talked specifically yep. about, you describe the product itself. You talk a little bit about the benefits in, in the in the subject line itself. And that's important because as we are working on our businesses so much, we we are so close. We're like one inch away from it. We think everybody knows as much as we do when it's like <laughs> never the case. So I really like that. Even though it's a small thing, I think it's a kind of big lesson in, in that approach that you took. Um, so so in terms of you know launching on, on Product Hunt, in terms of launching on Reddit, these are kind of great ways to launch. How did you, you know, and this only ran for five weeks, but how did you, what was the plan to continue to get the sales and have a much more, I guess, longer term strategy? Yes. Yeah, so what I thought would be the best avenue and probably the main strategy for this business was going to be affiliates. So Again, as someone who plays video games, I like watching them online as well. So I like watching YouTubers, people people who play Let's Plays or uh, play uh, video games, and also people on Twitch. So Twitch is a, a an online streaming service for video games. So you can watch people play video games on Twitch, and it's something that's actually growing rapidly. It's a huge, huge, huge industry right now, and it's something I actually recommend some people look into uh, because it's it's growing. It's a great time to get on it. And I thought, okay, so I know who I want to reach. I want to reach the influencers of these. Uh, communities, these people who have audiences who watch them play video games. So if I can get them to promote my product and then pay them for every sale they get me, that'd be great because I don't have to give them any money up front, right? So instead of paying someone a couple hundred bucks to post something on Instagram, for example, and I'll get like one sale back from it, so I, I, I have a loss there, instead I'm paying someone for every sale they bring me. So uh, my background is affiliate marketing. So before I was at Shopify, I, I, I'm, a, I'm big into affiliate marketing and I have a background in it, so I, I, I enjoyed a lot getting affiliate markers and being one. So I, I, understand, I understand the space really well. So when I saw that there were apps for affiliate marketing on Shopify, I thought this would be a great opportunity. So I reached out to these influencers, and I think I sent like 30 emails. I only got, only got like four back, which is I think is a pretty good uh, percentage, actually. Yeah. And at first, they, uh, I didn't get many sales from affiliates. I got, I got quite a few but I had a nice surge at the end when I got one affiliate reach out to me and asked me if they could promote my product. Of course, I said yes because they had a big uh, Instagram profile that I think served up gaming memes. And I think I got like 16 prod- uh, sales from him just that those, for those two days he had the Instagram post up. And I think he made like 160 bucks because I, I, I provided each. So every sale that an affiliate brought me, I gave them 10 bucks. And I also gave them an exclusive coupon. So for example, Felix, if you run a YouTube channel, your coupon code would be Felix. And you'd go onto your YouTube videos and be like, hey guys, thanks for watching this video. If you guys want a pair of sight glasses, go to sightglasses.com, use code Felix, get five bucks off, 
And then every time every time someone redeems that code, you get ten bucks. So that's kind of the way I worked it. And I used um, an app called Affiliate Lead. I know people are going to be wondering what I used. Affiliate Lead. There's a ton of of different ones like Refersion. If you look at uh, the App Store uh, for Shopify, there's a ton of other affiliate marketing uh, apps. But that's the one I just chose. Just, just just randomly, I just decided to use that one. Yeah, I'm sure you use a lot of apps too. So we'll we'll take a stop there and talk about apps in a, in a second. Um, so in terms of the affiliates, you know, because you spend so much time here outside of a shop by working on this, I want to you know pause here and, and discuss this a little bit more. So when someone, if someone out there has a store and wants to go down this route, well, even before then, are there certain brands, certain stores, certain products that make more sense for affiliates than than others? Uh, you know, if if your product has a passionate group of people around it or a passion group of influencers so maybe if you are if you see a lot of you know fitness bloggers or people who run youtube channels about i don't know uh, karate or muay thai or something like that you know so people who have access to an audience that's probably the best way so i don't know what product specifically i mean it, obviously it's going to depend but if you can find people blogging or creating youtube uh, videos or podcasting about your niche the people you're trying to reach then there's definitely an opportunity for you to reach those influencers and have them help you promote your product. Mm-hmm. So how did you um, find these affiliates that uh, you worked with? Yeah, so I basically just went on YouTube and I tried looking for the most accessible, <clears throat> excuse me, accessible uh, people. So people who had relatively small to medium-sized audiences. I didn't want to go after people who had millions of followers on YouTube. So I tried looking for people who actually had really small audiences because I thought they'd be more accessible. And I only had to reach a few people. I mean, I didn't have to reach millions of people. I learned to reach a few people. So um, I decided to go after the people who would probably respond to me. And I think it, that strategy worked out uh, well for me. Um, I did reach out to a few people who had millions of, of subscribers and followers on Twitch and YouTube, but they never got back to me. So I think my strategy worked well for me. Yeah, so when I would think, you know, most influencers would want to get, you know, paid up front, but you were able to basically almost like shift the risk onto onto them and would made them responsible for pushing your product, you know, which is obviously great for you. Was it an easy pitch to them though to say, hey, you know, I'm not necessarily gonna pay you anything up front to advertise my product, but you do get uh, you know, ten dollars every time you get a sale. Was it an easy pitch for you? No, definitely not. I mean, you're right. I mean, people are going to want money up front. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can afford to do that, that's great. Uh, what I did alternatively, though, was I provided them a free pair of glasses. So I said, hey, you know, you can try these glasses out. You can show them to your, your YouTube channel subscribers. And that's what I did. So uh, I did get some people responding back. You know, I don't do affiliates, but I will take a sponsored spot so you can pay me. I didn't want to do that again because I didn't want to risk it, like you said. And, um, you know, you, you just move on. If someone says no, it's fine. Just find people who are willing to do those affiliate deals because there are people out there who will do it because they have audiences large enough that it's worthwhile for them. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, running the business itself, was it something that you were able to do on the side or was this like your full-time thing that you're working on for a couple of months at Shopify? <laughs> uh, it was Pretty much my full-time thing because I was writing it and documenting and recording the process as I was doing it. So it kind of complicated it a little bit. I'm sure it's something I could have done easily on the side, I guess. But because of not drop shipping the orders, I, I do have to go to the post office, or at least that's what I did for the first few orders. It became uh, a, quite a bit of a, of a task. It became very time-consuming. Um, eventually, I started to you know, reduce the time this business took because I started printing labels at home for my label printer. And I started using things like Shippo and, and just dropping the packages off in the mailbox for the post office. So I did. I was able to reduce time. And I, I, I probably could have made this a side business, but I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of emails that communicate and find affiliates. It was quite a, a bit of work. I, it, would, it would probably take me several weekends to get this thing off the ground if I, if I wasn't able to do it full time. Gotcha. So for so we'll talk to you about this in a second. You know, for anybody that for whoever's going to win this store, make sure you pay attention to this next uh, next part. So, what would you focus on if, or what would you recommend the person that wins this store focus on in the let's say next six months after they've taken over the store? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think the first thing I would focus on is getting more affiliates. So that definitely worked, and I think there's still a tremendous opportunity there to reach more people because there's a ton of people out there who have small YouTube channels and are looking desperately to monetize their, their channels. They want to make money playing video games, right? So I think 
if you can find people like that who have relatively small audience, maybe a couple thousand to 10,000 people following them, that's a great person to reach because they're more open to an affiliate deal and they're more open to monetizing their channel early. Other thing I might try and do is create content myself. So imagine, Felix, if I was creating YouTube videos of myself playing video games and I was making money doing it because I was selling these glasses as part of my you know, content marketing place. So I was putting content out there you know, playing my, watching myself, myself playing video games and I was selling these glasses. That would be amazing. So I'd probably create content out there. I'd, I'd go on YouTube. I'd go on Twitch and I'd try and create a little bit of a, an audience. You know, not a huge one, but a relatively small one. And on the back end, you're pitching the glasses. You're talking about, you know, you're wearing glasses in the videos or, or whatever, right? The other thing I might test too is paying for sponsorship. So I, I might, since I'm, you know, the business is profitable now, I might be willing more, more now to pay people on, on Instagram or whatever to promote my glasses. And maybe the last thing I might recommend too is exploring Facebook ads to cold traffic. And that's something I really did. I kind of just, just did, a bu- did a bunch of retargeting, but I would definitely try and run Facebook ads to people who are interested in MLG or whatever gaming league there is out there. I think that's something that I, I would try in the future so, or, or recommend the person who wins the business to try as well. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you talk about it, this sounds like what well, was like a perfect product for you. Did you <laughs> did you try to get Shopify and let you keep the store? <laughs> Um, you know, as, 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 as well as the business did in a relatively short amount of time, I am glad that it, it's, it's over now because I, I love the writing for the blog and everything. So, uh, it, cause it was a lot of work. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. It was a lot of work and it was a lot of pressure. So just f- having it finished and presenting to everyone and, and hopefully people benefit from this and they learn a lot from this is great. I mean, I'm, I'm actually glad someone's going to go and win the business. I think it's something great for someone, um, especially if you're struggling to, with a product, or even if you're really passionate about video games, you're gonna love this business. I think it's great. Yeah, awesome. So let's talk about that. How can they? How can the listeners, you know, win this business? Like, what, what's involved? Any details that you can share? Sure. So starting today, you can enter into the giveaway. If you go to the shop, if you go to Shopify.com/blog, you'll get to the Shopify blog, and you'll see. If you look, you know, just look at the the blog page. You'll you'll probably see this giveaway everywhere. You can enter. So you, if you scroll down to the bottom of either the case study or the giveaway post, okay, depending on when you are looking at the blog. And at the bottom, there'll be ways for you to enter. So uh, some of them you can enter multiple times uh, per week. So you can, you can enter every day if you wanted to. Other ones, you're only allowed to do one entry. So you can share the blog post on Twitter. You can share it on, on, on Facebook. Uh, you can subscribe to the, the newsletter. Um, there's a bunch of ways you can enter. And you have until March 9th, 2016 at 12 p.m., so noon or lunchtime, Eastern time. Till we finally announce the winner of this business, um, I would also rec- recommend or highly uh, recommend actually that you guys go into the blog post and leave a comment. Let me know what you guys think about the case study, about this episode as well of the podcast, uh, of Felix's podcast, because I love reading feedback. I love reading people's uh, even criticisms or what you think I should have done with a business or what you enjoyed about the case study, what you learned, uh, why you want to be an entrepreneur, or why you love being an entrepreneur. I love reading that kind of stuff. So I'd really encourage people to comment. And let me know what you think about this case study and this episode as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing your case study, Corey. So sightglasses.com, S-Y-G-H-T-G-L-A-S-S-E-S.com. If you want to support Corey's work, you know, check that out. Or if the future store owner, whoever gets it, check it out for them. And uh, shopify.com slash blog, again, is where you're going to want to go because we covered a lot of things in this episode. But Corey goes into a lot, lot more detail with numbers and a lot of great images and everything, screenshots and all that. Um, again, on the blog itself to take, take a look at the case study. Again, you know, thanks for coming on. Corey and uh, you know I think that you did a great job with the the story and I'm excited to see who's going to take it over next yeah thanks so much Felix this was really fun I really enjoyed this thanks for listening to Shopify Masters the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs to start your store today visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial